For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Don't judge a book by its cover. Good things come in small packages. To assume would make an ass out of you and me. All phrases that could come to mind when regarding this latest discovery of Burkesia chameleons. Burkesia nana. The male averages a body length of just 13.5 millimeters long, making them the world's smallest known chameleon and possibly world's smallest known reptile that we can find anyway. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. 13.5 millimeters is just under your average unshelled peanut in length or the diameter of a AA battery. This critter could fit on your thumbnail with plenty of room to spare. With the tail, the males can get to about 0.86 inches or 22 millimeters in overall length. This tiny critter has been discovered in a small, pristine piece of Madagascar rainforest. Madagascar actually has a reputation for tiny animals. Another example would be the world's smallest primate, the pygmy mouse lemur. The pygmy mouse has a body length of under two and a half inches long and weighs in at just over an ounce. The largest lemur, the Indiri, gets as large as 21 pounds, but the pygmy mouse is much more fun for the fact that it lives in female-led groups and stores away fat for the dry season in its rear end. Baby got back. Double up! Why do so many small animals live in Madagascar? There are two predominant theories regarding the small scale of island inhabitants. One, 
small animals living in small places hide better. And two, as species proliferate, evolve, and divide, creating more species in a small terrarium, which is kind of what an island is, all species trend smaller. Like a honey, I shrunk the kids scenario. If the house is too small, don't move or add on to it, just shrink the people. But enough of this small talk. Another noteworthy discovery of Bruchesia nana is that the male and females are quite disproportionate in size. They stretch sexual dimorphism. The females can be 29 millimeters in total length, 19 millimeters in body size. Due to the very small area in the very small and shrinking montane or cloud forest these lizards were found in, Scientists had to wonder how the lizards reproduced, what were their odds of making it, which you could calculate if they knew how good they were at making it, which is the line of thought I'm guessing they went down when they made their big discovery. The male's penis makes up over 18% of its total body size, the theory being that the males were forced to adapt to the sexual size gap. Big things come in small packages. Or big packages, uh, anyway. This week, we've got snakes, crime, more bad bills, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is brought to you by Steel Power Equipment, makers of the world's finest chainsaws, and, as I have said many, many times, shears and loppers that pull double duty as both garden and trimming tools as well as kitchen tools. Just Sunday, I used my 30-inch loppers to cut the femur on a coos deer ham I've been dry aging for three weeks. Made a cut so fine, I was able to vacuum seal the ham without fear of puncturing the bag. Dry aging sounds more interesting than it is. I just keep rotating the piece of meat. In this case, again, it's a boned-in coos deer ham in my refrigerator. I don't put it on like the nasty refrigerator rack, but I put a paper bag in there for whatever reason. It would be ideal to hang the meat, but I don't have the space. I try to promote airflow however I can. A nice rind develops, which is excellent for dog treats. The meat inside is nice. I think a bit more tender, but I don't see much of a flavor difference, which is one of the things people reference with dry-aged meats. To keep on the cooking subject, I had a hankering for spaghetti and meatballs. I pulled out a piece of Louisiana Bayou pig from this summer, a bag of Frank Church Idaho Wilderness Mule Deer, and married the two in the Western Grinder. Had a real fantastic fresh meatball the night of the spaghetti. And that's mule deer from 9,400 feet and hog from zero feet in elevation. However, each critter's home may be equally as wild. And I like the thought of that. I uh, got absolutely spanked out on the ice again. We had a big crew, fished hard, and I believe we landed five fish and a good six hours of fishing, about ten lines in the water the entire time. Not exactly fast-paced. But don't worry, not being able to figure things out is a much stronger motivator than stacking them up. I'm looking to hit it again and get some flaky white meat in the diet. We're going to make a quick stop at the Snort Report and then move on. (coughs) Snort, my wonderful little yellow lab, while she is deep in the off-season, 
she's starting her formal professional bird dog training. To clarify, there's a difference between a bird dog and a pro bird dog, and in my mind, that is defined by blind retrieves and the use of hand signals. It is cold in Montana. Even though it's February 10 as I record this, I feel like winter just got here. And that little dog is a partier in the snow, so it's not slowing us down. We just need to dial in the routine, and that's up to me. Moving on to the snake's desk, where we're looking into a fascinating evolutionary arms race. Whenever you happen upon a snake, to keep everybody calm, someone always says, now it's more scared of you than you are of it. A recent study in the journal Science is uncovering how deeply true that saying is. Certain snakes seem to have evolved some amazing defense mechanisms directly in response to threats from our human ancestors. Most snake venom contains compounds that serve to paralyze and incapacitate prey, meaning that these snakes are not adapted to using their bite to harm us. Although they might bite and attack in self-defense, it's almost always a last resort. Spitting cobras, on the other hand, are different. The orifices in their fangs face outward, allowing them to spray venom as far as eight feet away. This serves no purpose for catching prey, so it must have evolved as a defense mechanism. If you take a critical look at the spitting cobra, almost everything about it seems designed for self-defense. The flaring hood, the standing up off the ground, makes the snake larger and more intimidating. In general, this is not a come on over and say howdy type of gesture. A barroom equivalent to a meathead puffing up their chest saying, you want a piece of me? Put him up, put him up. Which one of you faced? Recently, a team of scientists from Cornell and the University of Liverpool decided to learn more about how and why spitting cobras evolved in this way. Did evolution, the need to defend against a consistent predator, make them this way? Or, like in our barroom example, is it just low self-esteem? First, the team analyzed the makeup of spitting cobra venom and found that it contained two different compounds, one common to almost all cobras and one only found in the spitting variety. The scientists exposed mouse neurons to each individual compound in isolation and found little response. The two compounds in combination, however, caused the neurons to fire like crazy, indicating that it was this exact combination that would create the most painful reaction in a threatening animal. Hey, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. You got peanut butter on my chocolate. Which, if someone who has been sprayed by a spitting cobra is listening, you are right now thinking, um, yes, this we know. If the spit didn't hurt, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I get it. Hang on. The scientists then analyzed the genetic structure of the different kinds of spitting cobras to see when, in their evolutionary history, they had developed this one-two combo punch. It turns out that each distinct spitting cobra variety evolved their characteristic front-venting teeth and nasty venom right when early human beings arrived on the scene. Specifically, African cobras started spitting around 7 million years ago, just when the earliest human ancestors split off from chimps and bonobos. And then, when Homo erectus reached Asia 2.5 million years ago, that's when Asian cobras started spitting. 
Although we can't be certain that snakes adapted to us, there had to be some pretty focused selective pressure to cause that kind of dramatic change. But it has been well documented that many primates will try to kill snakes on sight, often using sticks, rocks, or other, quote, technology for doing harm while attempting to stay out of striking distance. So it would make lots of sense that the snakes who could inflict serious damage at longer range and scare the bejesus out of everyone in the process would have a much improved chance of survival. I'm now moving into the realm of pure speculation, but it's hard not to wonder. If, after spitting cobras evolved to keep early humans far away, humans adapted right back, maybe we got better and better at throwing, partially because there was an advantage to hitting snakes with rocks from further away. To take this one step further, and this will be my only nod to the Super Bowl this week, but maybe there would be no Tom Brady throwing perfect spirals all over the field were it not for some very, very nasty snakes deep in his lineage. (whistles) Who can say for sure that I'm wrong? Moving on. Researchers at Duke University recently documented one of the fastest movements ever seen from a living thing. And we're not talking cheetahs or falcons or antelopes. The animal in question is the amphipod, a three millimeter long crustacean that looks like a tiny crayfish with an enormous claw. Much like our uh, chameleon example, enormous is relative to size. Anyway, that claw accounts for fully one-third of the amphipod's body mass, and that claw is what generated all this interest. Scientists in Japan began studying amphipods in 2018, but they soon discovered that their cameras weren't fast enough to capture these tiny claws closing. So the Japanese team called in Duke University, who has a camera that can run at 2 million frames per second. For context, your standard video camera that we use for like uh, film and meat eater hunts and Cal's Week and Review shoots runs at a measly 29 frames per second. And I'm pretty fast and it captures me just fine. Meep, meep. What the Duke scientists captured was astonishing. The amphipods were closing their claws in 93 microseconds, reaching a top speed of 29 meters per second and hitting an acceleration rate of 2.4 times 10 to the 5th meters per second squared. Right now you're thinking, wow, that is really fast, Cal. Wow. I know it makes no sense to most of you. It definitely makes me feel like an idiot and makes no sense to me. So we're going to break this down and tell you what old Melba Toast here is packing. 93 microseconds. A human blink of the eye takes a whopping 350 thousand microseconds. Next, that acceleration number. I'm not going to recite it again, but it rivals the acceleration of a bullet out of a gun. Lastly, the top speed of 29 meters per second, which is just shy of 65 miles per hour. Now, this last figure might seem comparatively slow. My old 1983 Chevy Celeb could get up to about 65 most of the time, but the amphipod's claw is going from dead stop to 65 miles per hour in one seven thousandth of a blink of an eye. Let's just say it took the celeb a little bit longer than that. 
This is so fast and so powerful that scientists don't really understand how the amphipod's body doesn't break under the load of that acceleration. Just imagine if your hand were shot out of a gun, there wouldn't be a whole lot left. What is even more incredible is that the amphipod is executing this movement through water. Almost all the other fastest organism movements, trap jaw ants closing their mandibles, phyloballus fungi shooting their spores, happen in air, which is much less dense than water. Even crazier, those ants and fungi can only make their movements once, whereas the amphipod can close its claw at this pace over and over and over again. The closing action creates vapor bubbles in the water with so much energy that after enough time, the ripples can degrade metal. I'm going to say that again. The ripples caused by their claws snapping together can degrade metal. Wow. Okay, I think we've established how truly awesome this is. But let me tell you my favorite part. In order to find these amazing crustaceans, the team did not have to travel to the Great Barrier Reef or the Marianas Trench or some other exotic locale. They just drove over to a local marina in North Carolina and combed through some algae. Amphipods can be found all over the world. Right now, one is probably closing its claws faster than a speeding bullet at your local boat launch or fishing spot. Just an everyday miracle of nature right under our noses. Now that the team at Duke has published these findings, the next question is, why do amphipods have this ability? We don't know, but you will be the first to know as soon as we know. Wow. Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Just like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Listen, one of the few things expected of you in life is to not let other people pick up after you. That's why I have life insurance, to make sure my stuff is taken care of even when I'm gone. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the ever-popular law enforcement desk, A 44-year-old man has been sentenced to five years of federal probation, which would include a five-year ban on hunting, a lifetime ban from Crater Lake National Park, and over $42,000 in restitution. Adrian Wood has been under investigation since 2014 for poaching elk and deer out of Crater Lake National Park. During the investigation, which finally ended in his guilty plea for violating the Lacey Act, which forbids hunting in national parks, Oregon State Troopers obtained text messages of Adrian bragging about his elk hunting abilities, which I'm not quite sure what to think of. Was he telling people that he was a terrible hunter? Hunting in a national park is like saying, I I catch a lot of fish. What I do is, I head down to the pet shop and I scoop goldfish into a plastic bag. I'm a heck of a fisherman. Hunting in a national park is something that we've joked about in years past. Even on the Meat Eater podcast, the Yellowstone Super Tag, we called it. But it was a joke, because if you're good at hunting, hunting elk in a national park would not be hunting. It wouldn't be challenging. So what would there be to brag about, Adrian? Additionally, Mr. Wood was found to have taken at least one bull elk at night by using a night vision scope, which I think we can safely assume was not an attempt to make things more difficult. Oh, snap. Next up, Garden City, Idaho. A place surrounded by agriculture and warm water, like a factory for tasty waterfowl. Someone dumped 34 ducks in a dumpster behind Fred Meyer Grocery Store. Authorities have identified a vehicle suspected in the dumping, a dark 2008-2010 Ford Super Duty Extra Cab with a light stripe along the running board, seen in footage from the Garden City Fred Meyer store security camera. 19 whole ducks, mostly mallards, and 15 others with only the breast meat removed. First, shoot what you are going to eat. According to my calculations, you really only wanted about five ducks. Second, if you aren't eating duck legs, you are missing out. Third, if you can't make a duck taste good from that area of the country, throw your shotgun away. Fourth, a lot of hungry people out there. 
Idaho Fish and Game is still looking for this wasteful human. If you know of someone who probably brags about killing a lot of ducks, but to your knowledge, you just can't ever remember them talking about how one tastes, that's probably a good start. Call Idaho Fish and Game, 208-465-8465, or Citizens Against Poaching, 1-800-632-5999. Do me a big favor, and send in your favorite simple duck recipes to A-S-K-C-A-L at TheMeatEater.com. I'll read a couple out loud or get them up on the Meat Eater website so as to help those with itchy trigger fingers and lazy culinary lives. Duck legs, to get the party started, just grill to a medium rare on a barbecue or like a Traeger grill. If you want to do like my buddy Sean in California does, throw a little warmed up oyster sauce on there. It's really that simple. Those puddle duck legs do not work very hard and they taste very good. Next up, or down, depending on your geography, Iberville Parish, Louisiana. Raheem Pierce, age 20, the youngest parish councilman in history, received a summons after posting to his Facebook page his breakfast, consisting of french fries and fried robins, straight from his backyard. Councilman Pierce had a pretty good morning of violating the Migratory Bird Act for never leaving the backyard. He admittedly bagged 10 robins. Now, I will admit there are a lot of tasty-looking birds out there, Who with a shotgun in hand hasn't let their eyes linger a little long on a robin's breast, or even that of the meadowlark? Non-game migratory birds are off-limits, and the killing of one can result in a $1,000 fine and or 120 days in jail, which is a good reminder. If some of you listening are just chalking this up to what happens in Cajun country, there is no doubt that institutional knowledge doing things the way dad or grandma did, does exist. But so does the internet. I will also direct you to Cal's Week in Review episode 5, which was, by the time of this posting, 90 weeks ago, which is how I can measure my life. Anyway, in episode 5, you will hear about non-Cajun songbird eaters from the, quote, cultured countries of France and Italy. If it sounds like I'm taking it easy on the young councilman from Iberville Parish, I am. This is his first foray into politics, and you can imagine what would happen in this country if all politicians followed this young councilman's example and just posted all of their illegal activities on Facebook. I think we'd be better off. Moving on. After last week's bad bill roundup, I was flooded with more bills. And all of us outdoor-loving folks should be paying attention. Maryland. House Bill 0911 would restrict layout boats from the Susquehanna for the purpose of waterfowl hunting. Apparently, there is not enough room on that giant river for folks who choose to hunt by body booting, which is standing in the water with your decoy spread while hiding behind a pivoting decoy, and those folks who lay in a low-profile boat amongst their decoys. Oddly enough, the body booters, at least some of them, use boats to get to their spots too. Dying to learn more about this, so feel free to write in and educate me. Kansas. Pay attention, you whitetail fanatics. House Bill 2025 
would, like a similar bill introduced in South Dakota, restrict state employees, which includes wildlife officers, from setting foot on or even surveilling private property, which I am not sure how the law can restrict anyone's vision from crossing property lines. Uh, But anyway, you'd need a warrant if this bill were to pass. Spencer Newharth and we at TheMeatEater.com just recently reported on the case of John Blick Jr., the Sharon, Kansas poacher, who, as a result of a multi-year investigation, received a 139-count indictment, which led to prison, a fine of more than $300,000, and revocation of privileges. He killed 60 whitetail bucks illegally that they know of. You whitetail crazy folks, help me out. You think he got 60 trophy bucks off of one property or multiple? Do whitetail bucks move across property lines in the rut? Do you think a wildlife officer's job would be helped or hindered in their attempt to catch people like this who are stealing public wildlife even in a state that is 95% private? Wildlife is still public no matter who owns the land. House Bill 2025, where a warden if I'm reading it right, can't even legally see a poacher on private land without a warrant, really makes you wonder how a bill like this gets started. If you're into big whitetail, I'd prefer to give the wardens a boost. Next, Indiana State Bill 389. The so-called wetland elimination proposal. And I'm not laughing at this because I want to. Elimination is not just a placeholder word in this case. 85% of Indiana's wetlands have already been drained, and SB 389 would eliminate any restrictions on draining the remaining wetlands in the state outside of federal control, which would mean about 80% of the wetlands left in the state. Maybe this one operates off that old math theory we were challenged with as kids. If you reduce something by half, can you ever get to zero? Wetlands are incredibly important for clean water for wildlife, and for people. Take a look at the examples in the prairie pothole states of North and South Dakota of what happens when wetlands are eliminated by people upstream. The folks downstream get really wet. If you like clean water, nature, migratory birds, and you have anything to do with the state of Indiana, I'd be paying attention to State Bill 389. Next up, H.R. 127. Firearms and Ammunition Licensing and Registration Act. I would contact your congressional representative on this one. Among the many things wrong with H.R. 127 is it excludes anyone under the age of 21 from legal ownership or possession of a firearm, basically turning every farm kid in America into a criminal. This one is bad, it's ill-conceived, and that's really all I have to say. And last but not least... Some really good news. An 11-year-old angler from Wasilla, Alaska, hauled out a 9-pound, 2-ounce burbot from the ice just before midnight and bedtime. The story is a bit confusing, as the angler's name is Pike, Amy Pike, and she caught a burbot, which is a landlocked cod, not a pike. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellow's name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? Also, the state of Alaska gave Pike, which is not a burbot, a youth fishing certificate, noting her large catch. But even though I am jealous of you, Amy, this is not a record book fish in either the adult or youth categories. 
This is just a pat on the back for doing something awesome, fun, legal, and in terms of food, productive at midnight. The official state record for burbot, a fish I am enamored with for many reasons, one of these reasons is if you run from tail to nose on a burbot, the anatomy would read caudal fin or tail, anal fin, heart, anal vent, and so on. Point being is, their heart comes before, or I guess after, their anal vent, depending on your perspective. I am dying to know how the orientation of the burbot's heart is beneficial to this species. If anyone knows, please write in. Anyway, official state of Alaska record is 24 pounds, 12 ounces, and that was caught in 1976. I was discussing this with my good buddy Stephen Runella, and he theorizes that there is so much wild country in Alaska and so many people fishing all the time that the odds of this being truly the state record is very, very low. Like the odds that somebody pulls out the state record in an area where they could actually get it officially weighed and measured just seems off to him. Not discounting a 24-pound burbot, though. Anyway, congrats and keep at it, Miss Pike. And for our very last bit of uplifting news, this one in memory of Robert Victus, a successful orthodontist and outdoorsman from the Syracuse, New York area, recently passed away from pancreatic cancer. But in the fashion of someone who truly loves the outdoors, he left behind a legacy of opportunity. He left $10 million to the Central New York Community Foundation to help support outdoor parks and recreational areas in Onondaga and Madison counties. Here's another fun fact for you. Onondaga is a tribe in the Iroquois Nation. Got nothing to do with this. The Dr. Robert J. Victus Fund will support programs that will involve youth, hunting and fishing, or conservation efforts to improve wildlife habitat and forest health. That's according to Tom Griffith, Vice President of Development for the Community Foundation and reported by Syracuse.com. The cash will be distributed in grants not to exceed $150,000, and the idea is to keep this endowment self-funding and ahead of inflation. Dr. Bob also donated $2 million to the Upstate New York Land Trust to support watershed protection, public access, recreation, hunting, fishing, and forest management. I thought that was a pretty darn cool thing. Thanks for listening. As per usual, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.